All right, so truth be told, I prepared probably a nine-hour sermon that I'll keep to, I don't know, three, something like that. So that's it. I know, it's short for me. So What? Uh, I want to ask a question. I want to ask to see, you don't have to answer aloud, but what is the difference between somebody who believes in God, I believe Jesus died for my sins, believe I'll spend eternity with him. I go to church. What's the difference between that and somebody's like, the living God lives in me and through me. I commune with him. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And every single thing about my life conforms around his voice. I don't know about you, but I see this big divergence in the faith community. People who, let's be honest, they got the fire insurance policy. And then you've got the full other spectrum of maybe borderline kind of weird. <laughs> and the perception that I get from a lot of people is that the more common one is the vision of God is kind of more of like the boss in the sky. Do the things he says to do. Don't do the things he says not to do. Just stay out of his way and he'll stay out of your way and try not to mess up or there will be hell to pay. Did you see what I did right there? hey what determines whether or not you see God as maybe the boss in the sky or as a loving father? I would petition to you that is all around exactly what you believe God to be like. What is his nature? What is his character? What does he sound like? What does the voice of sound like? Is he in a good mood? What is his countenance? A.W. Tozer says this, and I love this. It says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the single determination, excuse me, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me say it again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about you. Who you believe to be, his character, his nature, his disposition, is, I believe, the single determining factor on whether or not you pursue him with reckless abandon or whether you reduce it down to where I go after I die and maybe where I go every single Sunday. I know a lot of people who believe in God and believe Jesus is their Lord, and they have a Savior, but they don't have a Father. In fact, they have a messy and complicated relationship with the Father. For so many, they are great with Jesus, and they're kind of unsure about the Father. They look at Jesus and the Father kind of as like the good cop, bad cop kind of view, where Jesus is, you know, the Caucasian man from the Middle East, which, newsflash, he's not Caucasian, <clears throat> holding the lamb, maybe some kids on his lap, blue eyes, blue eyes exactly. Long blonde hair, you know, and he's the nice God. He's the good cop. And then you swing the other direction, and you have the God of the Old Testament, who's vengeful, who's capricious, who maybe decides to smite you because of the wrong thing. Like, there's some, re I'm in a, a Slack group of our, our company, and we pull up weird Bible verses from the Old Testament. There are some weird things in there. And then there's the Holy Spirit, who's just kind of the, you know, fun one of the party that's kind of everywhere and just goes wherever you want. 
But everywhere I go, I find people who love Jesus. Like loving Jesus is the most common thing. Yes, I love Jesus. I believe Jesus. I know he rose from the dead. He paid for my sins. He, uh, I'll spend eternity with him in heaven. And then they're entirely terrified, or at least unknown, about the Father. And if you are down with Jesus, but unsure about the Father, you have a very big problem. That is a huge problem because Jesus came to reveal the Father. If you read the Gospels, as you go through, you see Jesus just being obsessed over like, I co- I've come to reveal the Father. I do what, uh, what I see him do. I don't do anything I don't see him do. He is completely obsessed around revealing the Father. Now think about it for a second. He is revealing the Father to Jews 2,000 years ago. Why would Jesus need to reveal the Father, the single person that all of these Jews have studied and memorized all the scriptures about? These people could like quote the majority of the Pentateuch all by memory. That was one of the requirements of being a Pharisee. And Jesus comes to these individuals and is like, my mission is to reveal the Father to you. And it's like going to Mike, who might be a PhD in a lot of things, I'm sure, and like, let me tell you about this thing that you're an expert in. That is what it's like. Why would Jesus need to reveal the Father to people who had studied and had agonized and had terrified their lives around this image of who God is? And the only reason Jesus would need to reveal the Father is because the people misunderstood him from the scriptures. You want a spooky verse? It's 2 Corinthians 3.15. It says, even to this day, meaning Jesus, like, you know, before Jesus, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, speaking of unbelievers. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Notice the order. It's not the veil is taken away, and then they turn to the Lord. There's a move of faith that says, I'm going to turn away from the scriptures that define who the Father is. When I turn away from that in faith, then I can see. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of like a really bizarre mention. Like when Moses has read something veiled, something blind, something confuses their vision of who the Father is, that you need to turn to some degree away from the scriptures to the Lord, and the veil is taken away that you see clearly. I propose to you that God the Father could be way different than you believe him to be. We get caught up in the story of salvation, that Jesus came and died and saved us, and we get so caught up in salvation and Jesus and the Caucasian man with blonde hair and blue eyes who's holding the lamb, and, you know, he's our champion, but we completely forget that Jesus came not only to save us, but to reveal the Father. And so we attach our faith to Jesus as Savior, that we can also miss the fact that he came to reveal the Father, that the Father revelation is the biggest miss in our faith. In fact, Jesus' entire life, he lived wildly differently. Remember, he got killed by the religious leaders. <laughs> like those, it's, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was crucified and killed as punishment for blasphemy. He was actually killed according to the Old Testament, Leviticus 24, 16. Does any man who blasphemes shall be put to death. That was the law the Jews used to kill Jesus. So you have, you know, Jesus coming to reveal the very, the very person that the Jews had sought after and agonized over to learn. 
and Jesus living a wildly different life. And that life was so different, they killed him. But Hebrews 1.3 says this about Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of his, the Father. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory in the exact representation of his nature. When I talk to people, sometimes I'll occasionally ask like, about their faith, like, have you ever encountered the Father's heart? Let me tell you, you get some interesting reactions to that question. Uh, you get some very uncomfortable looks. And for many, they hold on to salvation, but they are complete strangers to the notion of the Father's heart. Maybe they've had a terrible father. Like, actually, the word father is the most damaging, hurtful word I can have. And so I'm not really down with the Father's heart. I can't really relate to that. And so we have a contingency of the faith that has people who have accepted salvation but never built relationship with the one they're supposed to be reconciled to. I refer to these people as that they are saved, but they're actually estranged from God the Father. And they don't even know it. They're saved, yet estranged. They are Christians, yet they are strangers to the heart of God and his voice. One of the most contested things I hear is like, God doesn't really speak. Well, it's a biblical promise. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. It is like this right when you become into the family of God that you hear his voice. And we have these people that are saved but estranged, and this is a real thing. And how do I know it? It's because I was saved and estranged for the majority of my life. Growing up in a Christian home, knowing the Bible, and I was like, all about Jesus. Cool. The Father, woo, not so much. Kind of something I'm unsure about. And in the scriptures, we find this affectionate language for which we're supposed to refer to the Father. Romans 8, 15 says, For we've not received a spirit of uh, fear, leading to slavery again, but we've received a spirit of adoption of sons in which we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6 says, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, and that spirit which cries out calls Abba, Father. Who knows what Abba means? Daddy. The affectionate language in which we're supposed to address God the Father, not Jesus, but God the Father is Abba. That is the exact words in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cried and I said, Abba, if there's any way this cup could pass for me. Maybe, but not my will, but your will. So we are instructed for this language of this radical, you know, daddy language. I mean, like, I'm my kid's daddy. Like, when they started shorting to dad, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not dad. It's not father. It's dad. It's it's affectionate. Now consider this for a second, that that is such a wild departure from how God was to be spoken about in the Old Testament. Couldn't even say his name. The name of God in the ancient scriptures, Yahweh. Yahweh. That's God's holy name. And it was so holy that people as Michael said, would not refer to his name in the scriptures. Whenever you see Lord, it's actually them substituting the word Lord because they didn't want to revere his name. Yahweh, his real name, is only found 50 times, but the word Lord is found 7,100 times in the Old Testament. So you have Yahweh who's like, maybe I'm going to wipe you off from the face of the planet or maybe I'm going to give you some new instructions. And like the, that shows you how terrified that people were of the Father, they could not even utter his name. And they wouldn't utter his name because they didn't want to accidentally also violate the third commandment, which is thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. The easiest way not to take his name in vain is just to never say 
his name at all. And so when Jesus comes and he is rebuking the Pharisees and he says the words, I am, which also relates to Yahweh, they picked up stones to stone him. Not only because he used I am in relationship to himself, but he said the name of God, blasphemy. And so here you have God the Father, this holy God, God the Father that is so holy that we have been trained and taught to never use his real name and then after Jesus, it's like, no, you call him daddy. What? <laughs> How is that working? And I propose to you that many have received Jesus, but still remain estranged to God the Father. Have this terrified fear of like, I don't know who this person is. Jesus gives me something to hold on to. But there's this whole other person that I'm totally terrified with in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, I love this passage, it says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and, and the new has come. Now, all these things are from God who, listen, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's talking about the Father. He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about that Jesus is here to reconcile us to the Father. And this is uh, Paul writing. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God the Father. Do you hear the emphasis? As you see this in scriptures, you see this entire thing of like, yes, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He is my savior, but he had a mission that would have us to encounter and to know the Father. And again, many have received salvation that they're saved, but yet they live a Christian life fully estranged from the Father, waiting to be reconciled. And we're missing the point that Jesus is like, yes, you're saved, but you're saved to the Father. Do you remember the movie Home Alone? My kids love the movie Home Alone. Uh, I love it too, it was really funny. Uh, there's a neighbor in the movie. His name is Old Man Marley. This is technical name. I had to look it up. Uh, and the rumor, do you remember what the rumor was of Old Man Marley? Yes. The rumor was that he was the South Bend Shovel Slayer. What a name. And he murdered his entire family and half the people on the block. And because of lack of evidence, they never caught him. And he hid the bodies in his buckets of salt. And he would go shovel the snow and salt the neighborhood. And we were like, oh, like he's such a nice guy. Like, no, it's like, you know, he's sprinkling and hiding the evidence, you know. And that was the rumor that the neighbor old Marley carried. And it just was like it preceded him. It went everywhere. And Marley had no power to change. Like he had no idea. And I love these different encounters. I think one of the great stories in it is just the redemption of, man, he was this awful shovel slayer murderer and realizing that he is a gentle, wonderful man and builds a relationship. I think for me, at least a lot of my life, I had God as old man Marley and just had this, these beliefs that I believed about him from afar and what I believed about God kept me afar. Remember like in the movie, like every encounter, he, Kevin... Uh, would just like run away and just was like terrified because of the things he believed, not because of any interaction, but because what he believed projected 
an aura, a perception of them that says, I can't get near you ever. And I had the same thing with my view of God, our Father. That the God I believed, the lies I believed, like God that I had in my mind, he was totally unlovable. Jesus, totally cool. But God the Father, <laughs> the picture of him is totally unlovable. And these lies will remain in your belief system until they are contested. What is significant about a lie that goes unchallenged? A, a lie unchallenged becomes truth. You don't know it's a lie when you receive it. So as long as that lie is there and it's unchallenged, it becomes truth in your belief system. And the only way to break estrangement from the Father is to find the lies and break it. We don't know the lies we believe because to us they're the truth, because we've already accepted them. And you really can't pray lies away. <laughs> you really can't live virtuously and have like the lies just like vanish. Like, no, to break estrangement, you actually have to break the lies you believe about God. And you will remain estranged from him for as long as those lies remain in your belief system because you're always going to add that space. And for me, God was such this caricature, this like, man, he's, he's capricious and he's like, you know, moody. And like, he, can we just talk about that he was on his way to kill me before Jesus showed up? You know, I was like, we kind of have like a little awkward relationship here, you know. And the, the imagery I had of Jesus was, or of the father, perpetually kept me estranged. And it wasn't until I intentionally started asking, what lies do I believe? Why is my faith so different than all these other individuals? Why are they excited? Why is their life like, why are they excited and how they pray and how they read and how they think and they're just, they're connected with God. It's like, it's a real relationship and newsflash, we are supposed to be in a real relationship with our Father. We're not supposed to add faith as an accessory or just get the fire insurance. Like he designed this for a relationship and so many people are like, Jesus is my homie. He's supposed to line me up with the Father, but I don't, I'm not going there. So who is God to you? Could it be that there's places in your belief system in your life that you've misunderstood God? That instead of having a relationship with God the Father, many of us actually have a relationship with the Godfather, which is an entirely different person altogether. You have God the Father who loves you. And then for my imagery of the closest thing that represented God in my belief was the Godfather, someone who is unknowable, is angry, ready to move with swift justice, sometimes cold, saying sometimes I'll have mercy on who I'll have mercy on. And yet this is the same God that we're called to say, Abba, something is not right. I can't take the God of the Old Testament in all the ways and say that's daddy because that is a scary man. And yet the scriptures tell us that there's something that veils and clouds us. And we look at Jesus, who's the perfect image of the Father. So estrangement, estrangement is entirely made possible by the lies that we believe about God. And for me, there was a series of lies that I worked through for years in my heart that just like kept me like, I, you were unlovable and you were unsafe. And these are my words, like I believed and we say we love God, but I will confess like I didn't love God he was unlovable. I couldn't look at, and I said all these things. So I'm going to read a list of things. These are common things that Christians say uh, and things I believe that um, when a pair of premature newborn babies in the NICU die, what I, not to this 
exact use case, but a lot of Christians will say, well, it was all part of God's will for your life. Like, wait, what? It's God's will that I have twin daughters born, be in the NICU, and then die six weeks later. That's God's will? His good, perfect, and pleasing will? Well, can I get a second opinion on what good is? Or how about when you lose a job or you might lose a house and the Christian swoops in? It's like, well, everything happens for a reason. Don't you worry, but God's in control. Or how about when you're facing hardship, trials, and tribulation? Have you ever had a Christian that's looked at something hard in your life and they suggested, well, maybe it's some unconfessed sin in your life that God is just trying to break you? I mean, how about that? Like, have we, a lot of us have kids, right? Is there any part of you that, like, you want to break your kid? <laughs> like, I mean, maybe some circumstance, I don't know. But I mean, just like, the things we say, when I became a father, I, this is the, the biggest thing. When I became a father, I realized that I was a better father to my kids than my God was to me. Because there's things I believe that God would do to me that I would never do to my kids. Or maybe something has been taken from you or destroyed. And um, someone might say, well, it might have been the hand of God because, you know, after all, look what happened to Job. Like God just some days wakes up and decides that he's going to smite you. And uh, maybe he will replenish it later. We'll see. Um, are you suffering? Maybe you've got an abusive spouse or someone's been unfaithful. We've had, we've seen this really upfront, like painful relational issues. And, and people have said, well, when you suffer, it actually makes you more like Jesus. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the God of the universe. This is what a good God is. Like, when you suffer, you're going to be made more like him. Or maybe you're, we're successful. Maybe you lost it all, or maybe you lost some of it. And, and having Christians say, well, it probably was God disciplining you because your success became an idol. I don't know about you, but I've never looked at my daughter who's loved a toy and been like, whoa, whoa, that, no, no, too much. And now I'm going to go snap the doll's head off. Like I'm not, that's not what a good father does. And we see all of these things that Christians say about God. And you can say any one of these things. I found some incredible things, even just this past week, what people attribute to God and how he looks at hardships and pain and suffering. And you just have to stop and ask, are you kidding me? So I would love to take you through the fundamental lies and dismantle all of them that have estranged me from the Father for a long time. Do you want to know one of them? Well, you have to come back next time. So. I've got five of them. I told you I had a five-hour sermon ready for you. This, this was just my intro. So um, I would love, in future gatherings, I'd love to pick one off at a time. And I just want to kind of let you set the stage of like, God the Father, man, this is the whole reason that Jesus came. And what are the things that stop us? What are the, the beliefs that we have that keep us not only powerless, but also like absent and cold and estranged from the very person that Jesus came to reconcile us with? So the big idea I want to leave you with this is that Jesus came to reveal the nature of the one who was written about for thousands of years that we somehow got our wires mixed up. That Jesus was passionate about us knowing the true God the Father. That we've received Jesus, but we, we, some of us have trouble developing a relationship with the Father. So my question for you, maybe you can ask tonight as you 
go is just, do you have a relationship with God the Father, or does it more closely resemble the Godfather? Somebody who's planting and scheming. Uh, we should be keenly aware that there are so many people who receive salvation but live a Christian life that's completely estranged from the Father when Jesus designed us to be reconciled to him. So what do you believe about the Father? And anything that you think you know about God, the Father, that you can't find the person of Jesus, you have reason to question. If Jesus is the perfect image of the Father, you've got an idea about God and you can't find it, in the personhood of Jesus, then you have good reason to question. And that's the epicenter for all these questions. You look at all the things that estranged me and you go to Jesus like, do I find this in Jesus? And if you, you can't find it in Jesus, then you have to question what you believe. So I want you to ponder that maybe this week. What is his nature? What is his character? What is he like? Is he even Abba to me or do I fear him? For me, all of my lies produced fear. And we, and it's hard because, you know, fear of the Lord is like a, something we need to develop. Fear of the Lord. People just need more fear of the Lord. And there's a difference like, you know, fear of the Lord is actually designed to be reverence. Like, I revere you, not like I cower at you. Like, I don't fear my wife. I revere my wife. Well, sometimes I fear you, I guess. <laughs> We're going to avoid that topic. But all of my lies, all of my lies planted fear in some disguise or another. And the thing is, like, you plant those lies under the coating of religion. You feel like I've got the right answer. You feel like this is the right thing. And so all of these lies coated in religion produce for me fear of, like, you're unlovable, you're unsafe. I don't, I can't. If you're sending, for example, I'll just give you a teaser. Maybe I won't. <laughs> But going back to fear, all these things planting fear, every little one, some big, some small, but together I just had like this crock pot of all these different lies and beliefs that made me actually my root fear in a really unhealthy way. But in 1 John 4, 18 says this, is like, says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Any part of you that fears God in a way that's not re reverence, that's actually, you know, fear, maybe a punishment, maybe something else, is an imperfect love. We can have a dysfunctional relationship with the Father if we detect and identify fear or lies and inspire fear. So if you fear something from the Father that's inspired from a lie, you're actually estranged. Some of us maybe more than others, maybe not at all, but for me, when I broke free from these fears that estranged me, Man, my life, my relationship took a whole one I no longer like, I don't know, like I just, anything good that happened. I didn't want to like love it too much because if something good's going to happen, you know, God's going to balance the scales, you know, he's, he's going to send something bad. And, you know, when the, the pandemic came through and we had our company that was doing amazing that we had 20 days, 30 days maybe to survive. It's like, well, God's, you know, works in mysterious ways and God's, you know, cleaning house. You know, all this like, man, if, who needs a devil when you've got a God like that? And it actually took like, no, that's not God. He calls me a conqueror. He can't be enabling me to conquer that which he sends, because then his house will be divided. 
Is he empowering me? Is he comforting me? Because it'd be asking like the arsonist to go put out the fire. So what do we believe about the bad things that happen? A huge topic I'd love to talk about next time. So anyways, next time I'll talk on some of those lies we believe and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to hear from other people too. I'll just speak briefly for me. I think we just pick them up. I think sometimes, whether it's denominations or churches or things, like it's like a lot of belief systems are kind of tribal. This is what we believe. And you're given the snappy outcome. You're, you're told what to believe and kind of more of like in, a, in concept, but not rooted in the scripture. And there's a, a number of things that I just like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. But I think for me, um, you know, believing the certain things I was told to learn, I you know, went to college and took a lot of Christian doctrine, a lot of other courses and things. And they kind of tell you like, we believe, like atonement. Here's like all the things we believe about atonement. Uh, and just like wrestling with like, well, there's some things here that, that doesn't make sense. Um, so, and it's, it's tricky because a lot of pastors come from a denomination or a particular um, theology and they are schooled in that view. And so for me, like, there's a lot of areas of scripture I'm fine wrestling with. Like, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, denominations and, and streams of faith that are like, no, this is the answer. And so, um, you know, I think I picked it up from just what other people said. You know, I respect you. You said that. Okay, I believe that. And I held on to the concept but never found out the scripture. And then when I got really passionate about the scripture but also just really troubled by those things, like, you know, the Canaanite destruction. There's a lot of Old Testament stuff that was like, this is intense stuff. So... And it, Assault. Turned assault. And Gavin was asking me, like, you know, like, why? What, like, what is this? And the pictures are graphic. And it's interesting just, like, just going through that thing. But, like, what I took away from that story is, like, sometimes God is going to tell you to do something, and you, it, it, it's not going to make sense to you. But the lesson here is to pull you back. Mm -hmm. Like, that's my home. But, like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like if you knock off that rock, you're gonna get hurt. That's exactly what she said to them. Don't knock mm-hmm. off, or you're gonna get hurt. So it wasn't like she was stopping me. <coughs> She doesn't. <laughs> There's um, w- without turning into another sermon, I, with the, without it turning into another sermon. Oh yeah, go. For it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I think a fascinating thing on the Old Testament, too, is, like, God lets his children tell the story. And just being, like, that's pretty intense. Like, I was remembered a story recently of, um, you know, Maverick was a few years ago. He's trying to figure out what I do for work. I explained to, like, a, you know, five-year-old, a four-year-old, like, software and websites and browsers and events and, it's like, so daddy makes things on the computer and then people pay daddy for that, for them to, to use. And I was like trying to describe it. And so I overheard uh, him talking about what daddy does and he says, daddy takes everybody's money. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that was his best job. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, he's kind of not wrong, <laughs> but, but you could take that in a way. And so um, anyways, I do find it interesting that one, God allows his kids to tell a story. Um, and there's also some nuance that where Jesus had to clarify how the story is told. Uh, and there's details in there that I think there's some really fascinating stories um, where Jesus tries to redeem different stories. I'll maybe just share one real quick. But one's where Elijah, 
sees this uh, uh, military officer and sends down, it's like, I don't know, Terry, you might remember, I think 100 or some odd different troops. Elijah calls down fire. <laughs> Poof, like burnt toast, you know? Uh, and try to do this, like, you know, keep away. Uh, and the general sends down another 100. And Elijah calls down fire again. Poof, they're gone. Does a third time. And then the general comes down himself and then has his encounter with God. And then the whole nation is saved. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus walks through town with the disciples in the exact same city that the Old Testament story of Elijah was from. The disciples sense in the moment because the city had just rejected Jesus. They said, should we call down fire? <laughs> And Jesus didn't say, that's not possible. He said, you don't know the spirit that you're of, which is wild. So Jesus steps on the scene, John 10, 10, I've come to give life, life more abundantly. abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus steps on 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Okay, so Jesus, like, his mission here is like aim at an enemy. The entire Old Testament, Satan is only mentioned 18 times. 16 of them are in the book of Job. You would think that there'd be all these footnotes of where was Satan stealing, killing, and destroying, because the only evidence of Satan stealing, killing, and destroying is only in Job. And even most Christians think it was God the Father who did all the things. So when Jesus says that, you actually have zero Old Testament reference to all the stealing, killing, and destroying. It's not like Satan just like appeared on the scene when Jesus appeared. So I look at the scriptures like there's a whole entire untold story of where was Satan in all of this? Because he's basically absent from Genesis, makes a little appearance in Job, and then once in Malachi, I think, it's like, where else was he? And Jesus rebuking his disciples, referencing the same city, the same authority, the same response, and he rebukes him for the wrong spirit. I find that stuff like really interesting. So the Old Testament stuff, I can bristle some people and get them upset. But I, I look at that stuff and like, okay, if Jesus makes a huge deal of Satan, there's actually zero or next to zero Old Testament evidence of all the works that Satan was doing. When they turned to Saul to actually eat the heart attack and it was the tipping the point that interests them. It's not literally a story of Saul. It was the mm. Hebrew way of describing a heart attack. <laughs> like, you know, destroyed all the salt bars that I grew up with. <laughs> But I think when you, like, if you start to try and backwards engineer God's character and nature by only the scriptures rather than, like, who is he? It's a good thought. I trust, I trust what Jesus says. He's the perfect image. And now I get to approach the lens of these hard scriptures and, like, okay, Jesus, where are you in this? Where is the image of the Father through really tough passages? Mm 